Hello again, dear listener. This, I am happy to confirm, is the start of the show. Welcome to Fine, a previously recorded evening of storytelling and otherwise. This episode took place on July 30th, 2018 at the Lido, which is on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, or Vancouver, BC. You'll be hearing from some of the excellent lineup of writers and comedians we had that night, including Molly Cross Blanchard, Ivana Baranova, Jan Curran, and Aaron Reed. And throughout the episode, you'll hear music from Comortal, who you can find on iTunes and Bandcamp. The track we started the show with today is called I'm Blue. And, if you're interested, we have a live show coming up at the Lido on September 24th, 2018, that you should come and check out if you like. No pressure. On that show, we're going to have Josh Edwards coming up from the States, Sue Jung, Raul Fernandez, Angela Galanopoulos, Anna Cran, and music from Badgie Pak, who are coming over from Toronto, and then the following day are opening for Bill Callahan, so that's exciting as well. For more info on all of that, go to affineshow.com or follow us on the social medias at affineshow. All right, and I'm your host, Cole Nowicki. Let's get on with it. Enjoy the show. Up first, we have Molly Cross Blanchard, a Métis writer and MFA student at UBC. She is also the circulation editor at Prism International and author of her first chapbook, I Don't Want to Tell You, published recently with Rahila's Ghost Press. It's amazing. Pick it up. Here's Molly. Hi guys! Oh man, I'm so psyched to be here. Uh, thank you, Cole, for the introduction and just for everything. Um, this is amazing. Uh, thank you to the Lido. Thank you to the other performers and Kim Mortal for making me a million times cooler by proxy. Yeah. And thank you to all of you for leaving your air-conditioned homes. Or if you're like me and you can't afford an air conditioner, thank you for leaving your stand-up fan. And for putting on pants. Um, I'm going to read five poems tonight. I'll read three from the chapbook, which, like Cole said, is available at the back if you want to buy it. I don't know. No pressure. Uh, this first one's the only one I'm going to talk about a little bit. Um, so at the time I was writing this chapbook, it had been a very long time since I'd gotten laid. And obviously this was something I talked to my mom about. I'm sure you all talk to your mom about how much you are or are not having sex. Um, and my mom joked that if I didn't get laid soon, my hymen was going to grow back. So... This poem is called, Are You There, Molly? It's me, Hyman. (laughs) I'm as surprised as you are. The last thing I remember, we were 15, and you just sucked your first dick. I was so proud of you. Molly, what happened? I thought I was dead. I thought you killed me. The place is just like I left it. But did you happen to come across my One Tree Hill Season 2 DVD box set? (laughs) Never mind. Found it. You've grown up so much. What are you now, 35? 
25. Okay. So the last decade has been rough. My bad. The important thing is, we're together again. You seem lonely. Molly, didn't you miss me? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't miss her. <laughs> Home from A&W in winter after seven beers. <laughs> a girl in a pink tank top holds her shoulders outside the frat house. Inside, someone shouts, fuck the patriarchy, and it warms us both. <laughs> I want to be invited in for a drink. I want a morning when I walk myself across the quad without one shoe or the other. What is a quad? <laughs> I run my tongue along the raw spot burned away by a hot french fry. I've never been so ripe for the picking. The girl in the pink tank top gets kissed by a long-haired hockey boy, and I think of you. I hope the sad on my face looks cute to the dudes playing flip cup on the electrical box. <laughs> I hope they want to save me from it. Who lit these street lamps and why do they love me so much? We all know lying is love's smoothest moving vehicle. I have this fantasy lately, hey? That we'll both show up at the movies alone, and you'll say, what you seeing? And I'll say, Star Wars. And you'll say, me too. We'll decide to split a bag of popcorn because we're sensible. Sit with a seat between us. After a ton of buttery finger brushing, you'll say, I've missed you and I've changed. Come home. And I won't even need to answer because we're already kissing. We skip all the weird stuff and go straight to cohabiting in a third floor walk up above a play park. We put some children there, a community garden, <laughs> our handprints in cement. Later we move to the island and our grandkids visit. They want to know the story of how grandma and grandpa fell in love. After I've told our tale, you'll say, I have a confession. I wasn't actually going to see Star Wars. And everyone will smile and wipe small tears from their cheeks. <laughs> I've been here for two hours and I drank too much. But I'm having a good time, so. Thanks. Okay. You think you know your life after Harold Lindsay Bird and birth control. You think you know your life, and then you're sitting alone in the theater with popcorn grease on your chin, watching Melissa McCarthy bumbly stumble from flattering floral blouse into flattering floral blouse 50 times in 90 minutes. Alone is what you want to be, but not feel. You think you know your life, and then you're crying because on the way to your car, you see the stars for the first time since September, and they are nothing like you remember. All your naps begin or end with porn. <laughs> you could fill a diva cup with pus from the zits on your cheeks and chest. <laughs> you want to fill a diva cup with blood, but you're right backed up right now. 
You think you know your life, and then you piss away five hours a day half-watching House Hunter reruns on basic cable and chewing polish off your nails so you can paint them again the same shade of pale pink. Your life is wiping the kitchen counter and signing the chore sheet and making toast and wiping the counter and signing the chore sheet and making toast. Your life is like in Grey's Anatomy, when George falls heroically in front of a bus and ends up in the ER with his surgeon friends, but they don't know it's him because his face is so fucked up and swollen that they treat him like anyone else and talk shit about him while he's lying on the table, open and hurt, with a tube down his throat. You think you know your life, but then you wean yourself of 21-day Marvelon, and it turns out you haven't known your life since your mom found a picture of your labia on your Nokia camera phone and sent you to the clinic for a script. You think you know your life, but it turns out the tiny white pills had been melting into pale pink drive-in cinema screens pulled taut across the insides of your eyes, made everything so on purpose and pretty. Okay, last one. Please don't sue me, Megan Trainer. this is not a pop song. <laughs> Dear future husband, sometimes I imagine you watch me while I do some menial task, like season a cast iron pan, vacuum the blinds. I haven't met you yet, but I really think you'd like the wistful face I make when I de-ice the refrigerator. <laughs> I think you might admire my wherewithal, the way I don't need you at all. Dear future husband, I thought you were the vegan bodybuilder who took me skating but didn't know how to skate. The bouncer with the belly like a bald kiwi fruit. The dentist with green eyes and sort of stubby thumbs. I never thought you'd be a famous person, husband, but when Danny danced to Aaliyah on the Mindy Project, I hoped you could be him. <laughs> Dear future husband, I don't even think I want to be married, but I'd like a long engagement and a party. <laughs> I won't take your name or toss a bouquet, but let's rent a nacho cheese fountain. <laughs> Dear future husband, do you watch Love Story and wish you looked like Ryan O'Neill? I do. But if you have a scar on your face from a snow machine accident and your beard is patchy and you have three curly hairs that grow just above your butt crack, I'm sure they'll grow on me. <laughs> Dear future husband, you should know I'm pretty fucked up. That I move fast through the day trying to make myself smaller for you even though I know you're nothing like him. Dear future husband, I've cleared a drawer in the dresser for your t-shirts and socks. I've made a space for you to fill. The shaman calls this manifest destiny, but Taylor calls it nuts. She doesn't know how close you are, how we once rode a bus together and you wanted to say hi but got scared, how the next time we ride the 41, you'll hold my face like the sun and say, there you are. Thank you, guys.
Up next is Ivana Baranova, a Latinx writer, editor, and photographer. Her work has appeared in Poetry's Dead, Metatron Press, Vice, Glitter Mob, Pacific Descent Magazine, and elsewhere. She has a BA in Philosophy, Gender Studies, and Creative Writing from the University of British Columbia, as well as a $5 A&W gift card. Here's Ivana. Hi, thanks so much for coming. Um, it's a really specific feeling to be reading poems right after a stand-up comedian, because you're all smiling right now. <laughs> and I have to destroy that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, this is the first time I'm going to be reading poems off my phone. Um, my friend suggested I should have Siri do it. Um, maybe next time, but for now, I'm going to start with a poem that's not mine. Um, it's written by a poet named Bianca Stone, and it's called The Future Is Here. Man burns at a certain degree, but I always burned a little slower. When I went into school, I left a trail of blackened footprints to my classroom of spelling words, never starred. At the end of the earth, we'll be locked in our own spelling mistakes, our arms around the legs of our mother so she won't leave, our heads filled with beer, the light receding. What kind of death is reserved for me? The green plastic soldier has his gun up against everything. And what does one do with a gun, really? I've only held three my entire life. The first I held was the first I used. I was with Rebecca and her father deep in the woods of Vermont when she was staying with me in the heap. I shot at a beer can until my hands went numb and I loved her the whole time with car accidents and barbiturates. The way she got wasted, knocked her teeth into her lap and told me I loved her too much. What was all that? What man does is build whole universes out of minuscule disasters and educational degrees. I have mine in an enormous envelope two feet behind me. My name looks good in gangster font. It makes me want to alight on the thigh of my beloved like a moth because I know all careful grief comes out from behind the thigh and makes a fist at the gray sky above Brooklyn. The destroyed continue into the snow-filled future, shoveling. And love is either perpetually filthy or intermittently lewd. I'm sweeping the entire apartment because it's mine forever. And that's valid too, domestic eroticisms, the way he gets up out of bed before you and puts on clothes and can't find his keys. All of it, without parents, without children, without roommates. It feels good to get something back, and the whole feels detrimental and complicated and forever stimulating, which is why we live and why we send out balloons into the atmosphere with notes tied to them that say, nothing bad can touch this life I haven't already imagined. I'm going to read some of my own work now. In my fantasy, I refer to you exclusively as you bitch. 
You tell me, just do it, just do it. So I do it. Like a Band-Aid, like a Band-Aid, like a Band-Aid. On the late night talk show in my head, I'm the Latina Jimmy Fallon. Bros love me. They bump my fist before and after I take the stage, drool congratulations on each other regarding their guns, their dicks, their cars, regarding the model, the make, the year, the state of capitalism's boring neoliberal yawn. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, it's really hot. <laughs> Thank you so much. I can kind of feel the air conditioning, but I'm also like, ooh. It's <laughs> a thick layer of sweat just everywhere. Um, this next poem is called Confirmation Bias. At least in our waking life, most commemoration doubles as force. Since even the most benign zodiacal conceptions are tinged Eurocentric. When brown women die, who specifically is responsible for the eroticization of our deaths? This is not a walking meditation, not an endorsement of escape, survivalism, or even getting to the source. With eyes closed, involve yourself with the idea of becoming thematized in dreams that feel multiplayer wearing cling wrap for clothing, seldom never passing white. Learn to chase dopamine in the absence of halos, all with lollipops, all stevia, all sugar, all candy. Notice what you feel when your phone reaches out for you. Notice this as paradise. Notice paradise as antithetical to force. Notice force as the catalyst for everyone you've ever loved leaving. Remember that you once watched someone you love try to light their cigarette with a USB stick and did nothing to intervene. <laughs> Following this memory, you've learned to triple check fire sources and their adjacent damage. If you set an object on fire in the poem, the poem rewards you by becoming deep. If you set yourself on fire in the poem, the poem rewards you for becoming the light. When you become the light, the poem says, okay, good job, you've become the light. Mm. <laughs> Thank you. How much time do I have? Okay, I'll do a little more. <laughs> um, okay, so if anyone knows C.A. Conrad, these next two poems are informed by his work. Uh, two books he wrote, While Standing in Line for Death, and um, Eco-Deviant Somatics for the Future Wilderness. And basically his thing is like, he does this like somatic exercises where he does all these crazy things to get embodied, and some of them include like eating crystals and shitting out crystals and <laughs> all these things, but he produces some good poems, so I think it's working. <laughs> um, 
This first poem is called Electric Hand. One. Our so-called friend is going to murder the 10 p.m. catcaller who sits in the chlorinated tub. Splash, splash. Two assholes duking it out over their perceived ownership of pussy. Two, take notes for the poem. Three, when in water, women are the starfish vigilante of the aquatic panopticon. Habit turned necessity. Hot jet corners, our soaked thighs quiver, drip no, 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 wrapped in pools of masculine compulsion. Four, my cells shimmer like Capricorn moonstone, crystal on a ring around the ring, around my fat femme finger that is mine, all mine. Five. How many rituals enacted somaticize safety? How many crystals ingested ritualize the body? Six, your arms look strong, like they could punch someone, I say, recalling the time when my own arms failed me and I couldn't get away. Sometimes my electric hand stays clenched in a fist, remembering. This is my last poem. Well, I don't know. Do you guys want to hear something a little less sad? <laughs> or, hmm. Okay, this is the poem I'm going to read. Um, it's called Powerade. I say I know some things in a way of saying I know many things. I say I know many things in a way of saying fuck me and the stale intellectual tendency. This is about the kilogram of MDMA Rick had manufactured before it was criminalized. Dedications from the underground in little Swiss bags filled with little lab capsules, no labels. I'm high on MDMA. I'm in a bed and I'm high on MDMA. I'm in a bed in an office on Kingsway and I'm high on MDMA. There is a blue acid blanket of porta potty chemicals hopscotching the taste buds on my cold red tongue. I spit purple. I blend my jaw. I am presiding over a chorus of angels. You are the most beautiful person on earth, and I love you, I say to the vision of my sister who floats inward, then away. I dissolve. I'm a metonym, or is it metronome, or is it mimetic, mimetic device? I identify with one word at the expense of possible identification with all other words. Every lexiconic mouthful betrays me. Sink up, sink out, dissolve, dissolve, dissolve. A boy I love tonight holds his palm to my chest to push the breaking further in, in, out. I'm high on MDMA on a Saturday night and I am not at the party. I'm high on MDMA on a Saturday night and I unbecome the party. I'm high on MDMA riding down hallways in office chairs to sidestep the stream of fainting. I'm in real life Mario Kart and I like it. The other day on a small dirt trail in Alberta, I lost balance. 
I fell down a cliff, my body landed in the Bow River. I call Charlotte during the after and in the afraid. She says to consider the possibility of existential dizziness as a catalyst for falling into the river. I am wet and also I'm tired of considering the possibilities, blah, blah. I am just like the other women in all the other poems, tired, wet, considerate, Powerade, pour another acid blanket on my tongue. Powerade, pour another acid blanket on my tongue. Tuck me in with a chorus of angels, okay? I love you and you are the most beautiful person on earth. Thank you. Next we have Jen Curran. Jen lives in unceded Kikite territory in New Westminster, BC, and teaches creative writing and English at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. She has published one collection of stories, Hider Seeker from Anvil Press in 2018, and four collections of poetry, most recently, The Inquisition Yours from Coach House in 2010, which won the 2011 Audrey Lord Award for Lesbian Poetry. Here's Jen Curran. Um, thank you all for being here in the heat, and thank you to the other performers. I'm really enjoying all the work. I'm going to read a couple of really short pieces from this new book I published, Hider Seeker. This first one's called Insomnia. Insomnia. She was born one day out of the shadows of my closet. She lived there for months, and then she moved in with me. She started working at the cafe where I took my coffee each morning. She wore bright blue nail polish and black lipstick and, licking her lips, told every customer she was pregnant. She ignored me and only served my coffee when it was cold. After her shift, she would follow me home and collapse in my bed, snoring, her red hair billowing like theater curtains. I started to sleep on the couch. One morning I woke up to her giving me a tattoo on my foot with a sharpened chopstick and ink from a discarded ink cartridge she'd found in my garbage. The tattoo was a startling likeness of her face. She worked diligently until it was done. Her stomach grew. It was a hysterical pregnancy, but very convincing to her and to everyone else. She told everyone at the cafe the baby was mine. They always looked surprised, but then quickly covered it up. They didn't understand my gender and had no idea what my genitals were capable of. <laughs> I'm down to one coffee a day. My brain just isn't working the same way, she told a regular, an opera singer in a green muumuu. She licked her lips. Green, my favorite color, money and jealousy. <laughs> but the woman turned away in disgust. Insomnia's flirting skills were abominable. Even I couldn't be seduced by her, though she slept in my bed every night. Nine months passed, and Insomnia's stomach kept getting bigger. She'd stole sheets from my bed to sew herself an elaborate pregnancy dress that looked like a bridal gown, complete with a train. She started telling customers at the cafe that we were getting married. At this time, she would only eat sushi from one particular neighborhood shop and had given up coffee completely. Her stomach grew and grew. She started calling herself the mansion 
No mere house could hold her. Her. She had also decided her baby was a girl, claiming the ultrasound showed a certain body part particular to that category of human. Insomnia's ideas of what a girl was were very strange. Girls were terrors and beauties. Girls should shave their heads at 18. Girls often killed small creatures and painted their faces and arms with blood. Girls shouldn't be given coffee before the age of 21. Girls were builders, first and foremost. Girls should never have babies. She bought a huge pink stuffed elephant and slept with it in my bed. Afternoons after work, she would flop on the couch, leaving the elephant to doze in my room. I had nowhere to sleep. She ignored me, cooked elaborate meals, meaty pastas, nutty salads, fragrant orange curries, and ate them all at my kitchen table while I rested, hungry, on a camping mat on the kitchen floor. The customers and neighbors started to become suspicious. It had been a year since she first announced she was pregnant. Her stomach was still growing. Three months late, they'd ask, have you seen a doctor? She would airily brush aside their concerns. You know how doctors are, another latte? Soon, the cafe owner wanted to fire her. Her freakishness was bad for business. Her outfits, sewn from my curtains, tablecloths, and pillowcases became more and more outrageous. Deep cleavage, eye holes to show her belly button, skirts tight on her thighs and slid up the leg. Her flirting had gotten even more aggressive, her makeup more garish. She smelled like cottage cheese and old rose water. Everyone was either bored of her or scared of her. After being fired, Insomnia came back to my apartment, back to my bed, and slept. She slept all day, and she slept all night, for many days and for many nights. At first, I tried to comfort her. I brought her chamomile tea and apples, a little bit of chocolate to brighten her face, but she would just turn her head away. After a week, I let her be, hoping she would rouse herself without my interference. But several more days passed in unbearable silence, the bedroom door resolutely closed. When I put my ear to the door, I couldn't hear any movement. Finally, I knocked softly, and when there was no reply, I crept into the room. There she was, insomnia, naked on her back, the covers thrown aside. I could tell immediately that she had not moved in some time. I stepped closer. Her eyelids were smeared with ancient mascara. Her stomach had deflated like an old balloon and flopped sadly to one side. Her strong odor had diminished leaving just a trace of milk and roses. Even her velvety red hair had dulled. I didn't have to hold a mirror in front of her mouth to see that she was not breathing. In death, she looked shrunken and green. Outside the window, dark clouds raced, and as I watched, the shadows gathering in the room started to slide across her face and arms, her birth shadows, come to take her home again. I bent over and picked her up. The afternoon was darkening rapidly as I climbed into the closet with insomnia in my arms. Thank you.
Thank you. I'm, I'm a fan of realism, as you can see, and, and um, this one is another piece of realism. It's called Midnight. Some weird angels showed up. They were weird because they didn't look like angels. They looked like devils. But Joanna knew they were angels. One with short, curly blonde hair and pink eyes put a record on. Punk? Jazz. Two of the angels started to dance, slowly, out of sync with the music. Joanna sat up on the couch. Her favorite yellow blanket slipped to the floor. She slept on the couch because her bed had started to give her nightmares. She was so sick of all these divine presences. Maybe she had taken too many vitamins the night before. Or maybe it was all the holy books she'd been burning. I read them before I burn them, she explained vaguely. You'd better call your mother, the curly angel said. If I had a mother, I'd call her right now, Joanna replied. That's what I said, Curly handed her the phone. Call your mother. Joanna heard the hiss of the burner as one of the other angels put coffee on. The dancing angels were now using her kitchen towels to polish their short horns. Her apartment seemed like hell, but Joanna knew it was heaven. She started dialing. Thank you all. Our final performer of the evening was Aaron Reed, a stand-up comedian, improviser, artist, and musician, and probably like a thousand other things. You can catch him weekly performing with the Sunday service here in Vancouver at the Fox and in Sean Devlin's wonderful directorial debut, When the Storm Fades, which is premiering at VIF here in a few weeks. Get your tickets now. Here's Aaron. Hey, how's it going? Give it up for everyone who performed. That was awesome. I love poetry. I don't know. I love the visuals of poetry. I think they're so great. Uh, or what? I don't know. There are lots of different things, not just great. Um, but uh, I tried writing poetry in grade five, uh, and it was very sad poetry. Uh, and I wrote it because I wanted attention. Uh, and also, I saw a Boy Meets World episode. Uh, where the guy who lived in a trailer wrote sad poetry and got a lot of attention. Uh, so I did that. <laughs> so that was fun. I tried to write one poem in my adulthood, and it's very stupid. Uh, it just goes flip-flop, slam dunk, bunch of Scotty Pippen posters in my trunk. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no meaning there. <laughs> I just, uh, I like that idea, I guess. Um, I feel kind of weird doing stand-up sometimes because I think I give off the vibe that I'm just like a sad man. <laughs> Mostly because the other day someone said, yes, you look like the sad man. And they said if I want to feel better that I should do yoga but I already do yoga, you know what I mean? I do it every morning, actually, okay? I got one move. It's called Sad Worm in the Rain. And it's where I lie down in the shower until I have to go to work. 
That's my yoga move. Yeah. I don't think I look sad, or maybe I do. I don't know. I think I look worried. I worry a lot. Like I worry that I'm just going to be broke. Like, just for all time. <laughs> just forever. <laughs> just forever. I think a lot about stuff you can do for free, uh, for fun. And I came up with a few uh, that I'd like to share with you. Um, so uh, if you don't have any money, what you can do is, number one, uh, you can go and take a sip from an unguarded garden hose. <laughs> yeah, that's something you can do. It's pretty free. Uh, number two, draw a picture of what you think the devil looks like. <laughs> In some sand. Sand is free. <laughs> there you go. Number three, if you don't have any money, what you can do for fun is if you see a dog waiting outside of a cafe for its owner, you can just bend down and whisper all your darkest secrets into its ears. Okay? Dogs legally have to listen to you until their owners come back. That's how dogs work. That's why they have big ears for listening, and it's also why they bark, because they're like, stop telling me your secrets. Yeah. If you're ever walking around with your lover and a dog barks at your lover, you have been cheated on, okay? <laughs> so just know that. <laughs> it's a law. I, uh, trying to feel better about my body. <coughs> um, that's why I'm wearing uh, what I like to think of as uh, one of those parachutes uh, that kindergartners use, uh, but as a shirt, <laughs> just to hide all my body. <laughs> uh, so I went to <laughs> I went to the gym uh, to try and get fit, uh, and I there was a free personal trainer, so I could get one day, and so on that session she asked me what. My goals were, and uh, I said uh, to put less pressure on myself uh, and to have realistic expectations of what I can achieve. And then she said, no, uh, what are your fitness goals? Uh, so I said, oh, uh, by next year, I want to shatter the backboard dunking in the NBA. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Grizzly Bear doing the robot t-shirt cannon, cannon, cannon. And she told me to leave. She told me to leave. She told me to get out. I'll do stuff at home, like I'll try and do sit-ups at home. And sometimes my roommate will walk in on me doing sit-ups. Here's a tip. If you ever want to impress someone while you're doing sit-ups, uh, as soon as they walk in, your mid-sit-up just go, one, two, and then stand up and say, I am an honest and brave boy. <laughs> Something you can do. It's very good. Is anyone here on, uh, on Tinder? Is anyone here on Tinder? A couple people, very cool. What about plenty of fish? Any plenty of fish people in the house? Uh, Bumble, is Bumble, yeah, anyone on Bumble? Yeah, 
woman talks first, okay? And uh, anyone here on J date? What about J date? What about just lunch? Any business people in the house? Just lunch? All right, look, I'm not going to waste your time. This joke is not about dating apps. Is anyone here on Pringles.com? Pringles.com. More specifically, is anyone here in the forum section about new flavors? <laughs> about new flavors of chips? All right, I'm going to keep going. Is it, more specifically, does anyone here have the username I am the can man 67 <laughs> Said some pretty fucked up shit about me on the message boards. <laughs> I'm trying to find him via this joke. Hasn't happened yet. I, uh... <coughs> I'm uh, just very depressed a lot of the time, so I was trying to uh, come up with ways to uh, make my life better, uh, to improve my life. And uh, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> step one. It's step one for sure. Uh, on the top three of things that will improve my life, uh, they were to uh, stop watching pornography, uh, to cry more, uh, and to visit my grandmother more. Uh, so watch out, Grandma. Because uh, <laughs> next time I visit you, it's going to be intense. <laughs> I'm going to be like, Sup, Grandma, I stopped watching porn. <laughs> I love you. I just love you. I love you. Uh, <laughs> does anyone, uh, everyone like YouTube? That's a pretty cool site, right? <laughs> I love YouTube. <coughs> Sorry. I love YouTube. Um, I think it's awesome. So cool. <laughs> but I think it's an unhealthy site. I think it's an unhealthy website. Here's why. I think any website where you can start off watching a golden retriever sneeze at a beach ball and be surprised, <laughs> and then about an hour later, you somehow end up watching a bunch of people, a compilation video of people getting uh, uh, 20 to life sentences in court. Uh, I think that's a bad sight. <laughs> I think that's too many flavors. I think that's too many flavors for one. I don't think both of those things should be accessed just by anyone. You know? That would be like if I was just like, hey, come on, welcome to my house party. Let me take your coat. What's up? How's it going? Okay, yeah, okay, cool. So we got like an open bar in here, and we got juice for the kids. That's pretty cool. Uh, we got, yeah, people just kind of outside on the patio hanging out and talking. We also got a games room. Uh, we got a VR station set up, and then also, if you want to go downstairs, I built a serial killer museum you could check out. <laughs> if, you're cur if you're curious. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to, but they end up there somehow. Okay, <laughs> so don't knock it till you try it. I think it's a bad website. Um, yeah, I like to try and do fun things um, during the day. I don't have a day job, uh, so I like to distract myself. And one of the things that I like to do uh, is I like to go to the mall 
and I like to make up jingles for stores that don't have jingles. So you can, you can do this too, it's very easy. You just uh, need a brain and songs <laughs> and words. I made up a jingle for the store, Mark's Work Warehouse. Are we familiar with this store? Yeah. So the jingle I wrote for that store is boots and jeans. It's a nice, honest, simple, working person's jingle. Okay. Uh, I also wrote a jingle for the store Ardeen or Arden. I don't know how. Cool. But they, uh, you can buy earrings and stuff, and some of them you could get your ear pierced there. So uh, the jingle that I wrote for that store is, uh, I know that it's frowned upon, but we pierce babies' ears. <laughs> All right, thanks very much. Okay, everyone, hope you're doing good. I just wanted to let you know that this is the end of the show. Thanks again to all of the storytellers, Kim Mortal, Delito for having us, Matt Crisco for recording us, No Fun Radio for playing us, and you, dear listener, for listening. We'll leave you with Commortals 88 and beyond. If you hang about a threat, hold these lines for survival. My legacy, the seed ascended, this is our arrival.